But those who were back from Estonia and those who were back from camp and all of that, I, I think you had uh, a great time from what I can tell. Praise the Lord for the opportunities that you've had to serve. And I know uh, I, I saw Dustin this morning. He's back in the sound room now serving again as he has done for the last few weeks very heartily. I'm guessing that after doing Estonia and then a full week of camp at Pine Lake and then doing VBS this week, that after that Dustin is going to be ready for a break. And so I'm glad that we have somebody who's willing to work so hard. I hope we just don't wear him into the ground. <laughs> ah, he's young. He's young. He can take it. I'm sure he'll be, do fine. We've been talking about the blessings of being Christian uh, this summer. And we've talked about things like the way that the gospel provides us purpose and meaning in life. We've talked about how the church is a genuine community that gives us an opportunity to be one with each other and the chance uh, also to be pos- to positively impact our world through the church and through the ministry of Christ and all those things are good things. God has blessed us richly with the privilege of being together in the church. One of the things that I want to talk about this morning is something that we talked about not long ago. A few weeks ago, you'll remember that I had, uh, uh, we focused on Jordan and Carrie as kind of exhibit A of people who have had to endure an awful lot in life and the way in which the Spirit blesses people with his peace. And, you know, I really do admire Jordan and Carrie for all that they have, uh, for all they've had to endure and yet the way in which they come out on the other side. God has blessed them richly with his peace, and I'm so grateful for that. There are others in our church family who've lost people, lost loved ones, after 50 or 60 years of being joined together in marriage. There are others who've lost children. There are people who've experienced all kinds of debilitating hardships, whether it's the loss of employment uh, or the loss of a limb. People have had to enjoy all kind, enjoy, endure all kinds of things that the Lord has allowed them to endure. Which is interesting, really. You think about God allowing people to endure the things that he does. But he obviously does. One of the things that has always struck me about the question of why do bad things happen to good people is just the fact that if God wanted to stop them, he clearly could. True? Wouldn't you say that? Like if God really wanted to stop things from happening that were bad, he could stop them. And he chooses not to. And I I don't know all the reasons for that. I think ultimately... And this might sound strange. I actually think it ultimately comes down to his love. I think that God loves us enough to provide a world in which we are entirely free. And in a free world, things freely happen. And sometimes things freely happen in a bad way. We could go into all of that. It's not really the point this morning. It's just to say that things do happen that are bad. And it's important for us, extremely important, I think, for us as people who serve God to discuss rather openly the fact that these things happen. It's not going to suffice for us to just kind of push them under the rug and act like they don't happen. And sometimes I see this. You know, it's interesting to hear somebody stand up on a, on, at a pulpit on television and tell everybody in the audience that God wants nothing but good things for them and that God actually works out constantly nothing but good and nothing bad's going to happen all they have to do is put their faith and trust in him i have to admit that irks me it bothers me when i hear preachers on television say just that thing 
Because I think to myself, are you kidding? Like you're talking to a group of maybe a thousand people and none of them have anything bad going on in their lives right now. Or if they do, your answer to them is that they don't have enough faith. If they simply prayed harder, it all depends on them. If their hearts were just full of you more, they'd be okay. They wouldn't have cancer. So this is somehow the fault of the people who are listening to you. That kind of bugs me. And I think that God is grieved when he hears that kind of message. I think God wants to bring great blessings into our lives, but he doesn't want us in the process to be beat up because all of the things that happen to us that are bad in life are somehow our fault. And if we could just trust more and have more faith, if we just had more confidence in God, that he would just make sure that nothing bad ever happened to us. That's bad theology, folks. I hope we don't stand there. So what I want to talk about this morning is not the fact that God is going to take away from us anything that ever happens that's bad, but about the beautiful comfort that we receive from Christ. When there is great heartache and loss, when there is great suffering and pain, when there's total debilitation. You know, there are people in our church that I've talked to recently who can't even get out of bed some days because they hurt so badly. Sometimes it's just physical pain. Sometimes it's emotional pain. And they can't even get out of bed. It hurts so bad they can't move. And God, when we're forced by our pain into a totally passive response, where we can do little more than fall on our knees, wants to bring us comfort. And so often that's through His Spirit. And so I, that's what I was kind of sharing a few weeks ago when we talked about Jordan and Carrie, about how I'm sure there are days when... Can you imagine being Carrie Clark and having to get out of bed some days? Some days, I'm sure there are times she just wants to roll up into a ball and, and just not face the world at all. But God, I believe, gives her comfort. I think that God gives her strength through her difficulty. And so we read something like this. Listen to these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And, and notice nowhere in here does it say that he's just going to, to relieve all of our pain and nobody will ever experience anything bad. The Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. And if we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort." The Apostle Paul does something here which I think is remarkable. And something for which he is eminently qualified. He can speak to this like nobody else can speak to this. This is a guy who on behalf of Christ 
is shipwrecked. This is a guy who's consistently beaten. He's imprisoned. He goes through all kinds of hardship, all for the sake of Christ. If there was anybody who God should take away from them, all the agony and the pain and all the suffering, it should be Paul. He's put himself completely out there for God. And yet God doesn't necessarily relieve from him all his agony. He even receives a thorn in the flesh, he talks about. And here's what he says about his response to his suffering and pain. He says, essentially, that through my suffering and through my pain, I end up being able to be, for others, the comfort that they need from God. And the process is that they are comforted by God in their suffering and that they're then able to comfort others because of the comfort that they have received from God. And so while we're sometimes trying to take away from ourselves the pain and the suffering and we're saying, God, get rid of this. And why don't you get rid of this? And some people would say he should be getting rid of this. All the while, God seems to be saying, the comfort that I offer to you is something you should immediately turn around and offer to others. And the comfort that I've given to you is going to be extended to them because of the comfort that you've received. You become the comforter. And so I want you to notice in this text, I want you to look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 in your Bibles. Turn there, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want you to notice... First of all, the second half of verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And look at the second half of verse 4. Paul says that we suffer and receive comfort, God's comfort, so that, and I'm quoting here, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Notice verse 5. It says that our comfort abounds so much that others are blessed because we are comforted. Look at verse 6. It says that both our distress and our comfort culminate our being able to comfort others. And then look finally at verse 7. It says that although we share together in suffering, we also share together in a kind of mutual comforting of one another because we've been comforted by God. And I want you to notice a couple of things. First, every pronoun in this section of scripture is plural. There are no eyes. It is we and it is our. And the reason for that is because God, in the midst of our suffering, puts us in the middle of community. We aren't designed to do this alone. He places us in community, in a mutual faith, because we're not designed to suffer alone. We're not designed to to be comforted alone. We suffer and we comfort together. Because that's who we are. We are a community. We are a family together. Last week when uh, Rebecca and Richie and I were practicing and getting ready for uh, singing last Sunday, at one point all of a sudden Richie, because he's the guitarist that he is, he starts doing a little Simon and Garfunkel link. uh, Lick, sorry. Link, that's computer language. Lick is guitar language, okay? So he starts... He starts doing this little guitar thing from a Simon and Garfunkel song. I think it was The Sound of Silence. Okay? 
So he starts plucking that on. And I, I knew some of the words, so I started singing along. And then he started playing another Simon Garfunkel song. And I knew some of those words. And so I started singing along. And we were just kind of having fun for a moment. I looked at him and I said, we need to do this for the church. And he said, yeah, we should. The church would say, please don't. But I was thinking about this Simon and Garfunkel song this week. Paul Simon wrote this in 1965. He was 23 or 24 years old at the time. He was born in 1941. And he wrote these words. And you can hear this. He says, A winter's day in a deep and dark December. And then he goes on from there and he says, I'm alone, gazing from my window to the streets below on a freshly fallen silent shroud of snow. I am a rock. I am an island. I've built walls, a fortress steep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I'm a rock. I'm an island. Don't talk of love. Well, I've heard the words before. It's sleeping in my memory and I won't disturb the slumber of feelings that have died. If I never loved, I never would have cried. I'm a rock. I'm an island. I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I'm shielded in my armor, hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one and no one touches me. I am a rock. I am an island. And here's the, the key two lines at the end. He says, and a rock feels no pain. And an island never cries. That's fascinating. As I said, it's 1965 when he writes that. He's 23 or 24 years old. And part of me wants to say that at 23 or 24, you could be just that cynical. And you could maybe even think, I am a rock, I am an island, leave me alone, I'll be fine. But I'll bet the 64 or 65-year-old Paul Simon would not say the same thing. Now, it could be that at 23 or 24 years old, he was already insightful. Maybe these words are absolutely ironic. Maybe that's the point. Because this song is filled with darkness and clearly filled with pain. You don't get from this song glee. If you hear this song, David, you wouldn't go away joyful at the end. And so maybe it is that he's absolutely ironic. A bit of sarcasm, almost. And saying, if this is where we stand, keep standing there and you'll feel pain. Keep standing there and you will hurt and will indeed cry. You might think you're an island, you might think you're a rock, but no. So I'm guessing, actually, that that's probably where he was going. I think he recognized that you cannot be isolated and just experience no pain. That you can't be by yourself and everything is just okay. And the reason is because God created us for community. He creates us for relationship, for close relationship. From the very beginning, what is it that God says about Adam when he looks at him? 
He creates Adam and he watches him for a while and he says, it is not good for man to be alone. And we always think specifically of marriage when we hear those words. And it's because Adam receives Eve and the two of them become one flesh and they're relating together in that way. And so we think, well, that's the relationship that he's talking about. It's not good for man to be alone. He needs a wife. But I would say that it's not good for humankind to be alone. And that it's not just that we need a wife, it's that we need somebody. It need, we need community. And so Psalm 68.6 says, God sets the lonely in families. God sets the lonely in families. Why does he do that? Isn't God himself good enough? Can't we just have a relationship with him? Do we really need each other? And in fact, I would say, we do. In fact, I would say that he created us exactly for that purpose. So I want to go back again to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and look at verse 7. I want you to notice that in verse 7 particularly, the word share is found. If you have an NIV, it's in there a couple of times. In, the word, in, in Greek, the actual word is only found once, but it works for both cases if you're looking at the text. The word for sharing, whether we are sharing our suffering together or sharing our comfort together, is that beautiful word that we sometimes hear in Christian circles, koinonia. It's fellowship. It's sharing. It's being together. And what Paul says is that God shares his comfort and his life with us. He shares his son with us. He shares his spirit with us. We are comforted by his presence. But it's not only that sharing that's to take place and which is to bless us. We also share with each other. We share our joys and our sorrows. We share our high points and our low points. And so we listen Not to Paul Simon today, but to another Paul who describes his relationship with the church. In 1 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul says, As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother, caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were, and watch this, Paul says, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. And that's the way that it's supposed to be. Megan and I were talking last night around the table with the rest of our family. We have our grandson here, and so he's going to be in the second service with Robin today, along with his mother, Stephanie. Adam, our son, couldn't come, uh, but they were able to be here with us for a week, and we've really enjoyed them. We were talking last night about various things, and all of a sudden we started talking about the Lim family. And the talk turned to their fire. And you'll remember that they experienced a fire now some years ago. And their house had to be rebuilt and it took some time. And we ministered to them in the midst of all that. And one of the things that happened was that when they had the fire, Stephanie lost her bearded dragon in the fire. And you might remember that afterward, the young people here got together, pooled some money, and they bought Stephanie a new bearded dragon to replace the pet that she'd lost because they knew that if you'd lost a pet in a fire that it was going to hurt 
And if any of them had lost a pet, they would have experienced some pain. And they wanted to comfort Stephanie in her pain. And so they bought her a new bearded dragon. And that's just exactly the kind of thing that the church should be doing for each other. The example is not at all trite. It instead is representative of what happens when we share life together in Christ. In Romans 12, 15, Paul says, We rejoice with those who rejoice, but we mourn with those who mourn. And he has that discussion right in the context of discussion about the body. And the same kind of claim is made over in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul is again talking about the body. And you know how he talks about the different parts of the body and each one ministers to each other and and the hand shouldn't say to the eye, I don't need you or anything like that. Instead, it says when one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And my my sense is that Paul understood and knew very well the body coming together to hurt and to suffer with each other. We could speak at length about meals that have been shared with the hurting. We could talk about hospital visits. We could talk about the hugs and the shared tears. We could talk about worldly possessions given to those who are in need. The moments of tenderness and compassion shared in the body of Christ by those who hurt. We could talk about that because we do those things. Life is lived together. And that means that pains are experienced together. And we need to be there for each other. At the end of this week, Robin and I are going to be traveling to Portland to pick up her mother and bring her here. She's going to be living with us, we think, for the next six months or so. I'd love for you to be praying about that. She has Alzheimer's. We think that this is going to be a difficult time for our family. One of the things that goes along with that, though, is that Robin's younger brother, Christopher, who has all his life lived with his parents um, and and is doing so because he's challenged in some ways. And we're not sure, actually, that Chris is going to be able to just make it on his own. We don't know. He's going to be living in the house that uh, was mom and dad's until we kind of decide what we're going to do with all of that situation. But he'll be staying there uh, by himself for a while. And we're hoping that he'll be fine. Don't know. And so we're wrestling with that. But one of the things that that brings me great comfort in the whole situation is that for the last 35 or 36, 37 years, Chris has been in the same church family in Portland. And they know him, and they love him, and they take care of him. And so there's an elder there named Terry Skinner who loves Chris. And he comes by the house all the time. And he's just there. He just blesses. He's just there to bless and to help, and he's going to take care of him. Or I think of Greg Mears, who was a childhood friend of Robin's. They grew up in the same church together in Hood River, Oregon, and Greg eventually moved, and and now he's in the Portland area. And he's told us on numerous occasions since Robin's dad died, don't worry about Chris, I'm going to help take care of him. Greg's in the county, he said, I'll sit down with, with Chris, we'll make out a budget, we'll make sure that he's going to be okay. And so Chris is not going to be alone. He is not a rock. He is not an island because he has a loving church family around him. And so do I. And so do you. 
And God has given us each other that we might bring comfort to one another through the comfort that we have received from the Lord. And so if there's any way that you've been comforted in your suffering by God, your comfort does in fact overflow every time you make yourself available to somebody else in our church family or in our world who needs from you the comfort that Christ offers. And we become the hands of Christ. We become the blessing of Christ, the comfort of Christ. And so I want to challenge you this week. I want to say to you, don't hold back from being for someone the comfort that God provides. Not only is it possible, but it is likely that this week you will be around someone who specifically needs you. They need your comfort. They need for your suffering to have developed in you the comfort you receive from God, making available to them the possibility of giving them peace and comfort. I encourage you to do that. God will give you that opportunity. And we need to respond as those who have been comforted by God, who could then in turn comfort those around us with his peace. Let's pray. Lord, we, um, we anticipate this morning the possibilities, the probabilities of us being able to be comfort to someone else this week. And Father, I pray that because we have received from you great comfort, because you have blessed us with your peace, that, that we will have opportunity and that you will bless us with the strength to be there for someone who needs from us your comfort and peace. And Father, we thank you this morning for the church, this rich family of which we're part. And it's just so wonderful to be together, able to bless one another's lives. We praise you and thank you for that privilege and blessing. It's through Christ we pray. Amen.